Welcome to Hashtags and Stilettos with Sakita Holly, the podcast that's like having your own personal publicist in your pocket, sharing business, lifestyle, and PR tips on demand. Today's guest is Adina Bio. Adina is the founder and CEO of Adina Bio and Companies, which is the parent corporation that owns IHOP franchises in Patterson and Irvington, New Jersey, and a real estate development portfolio with more than $225 million in urban redevelopment projects. Because of the success of her flagship IHOP in Irvington, a consistently top-grossing location in the Northeast region, which she opened in 2008 when she was just 27, Adina is the second largest employer in the township. She has been recognized as a top 50 woman in business by NJ Biz Magazine, was named to the prestigious Federal Reserve Bank of New York Advisory Council on Small Business and Agriculture, and was recognized on Ebony Magazine's 2015 Power 100 list. This summer, Adina will launch a signature fast casual farm-to-table soul food restaurant called Cornbread. Today, I will be talking to Adina about her path to entrepreneurship with real estate development and franchising and what we can and should be doing now if we want to take a similar route. If you'd like to live tweet this episode, use the hashtag, hashtags and stilettos, and make sure you tag me at Miss Success. Welcome to the show, Adina. Hi, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you so much. Yes, I'm that was what's funny is that was a very short version of your bio. <laughs> <laughs> You've done so many amazing things that if I were to go down the list line by line, we'd be here for a little while. <laughs> so so I'm excited to have you on. And I'm not sure if you remember this, but you and I actually met back in 2010. Um, we attended the same event. Um, I think I was with uh, Tara Dowdell, who is your publicist. And you were an inspiration to me then. And you were just two years into owning your flagship IHOP in Irvington. So to see what you've been able to accomplish in almost seven years is amazing. And I'm, I'm happy that we get to talk about that today. So I want to start with your childhood and upbringing. When you were 13, you immigrated to the United States to escape a civil war in your native country of Liberia. What was your experience like growing up in New Jersey as an immigrant? It was great. I had the best experience in New Jersey because essentially I had a whole community of folks that kind of embraced me. I really, really enjoyed my time because I can't stress this enough to people growing up in New Jersey, especially in Newark, Mm -hmm. I had 10,000 mothers, Mm. you know, my whole community was like my parents, my Mm -hmm. dad, uncles. Even when I went to school, I had some amazing teachers that, you know, up to this day that I still keep in touch with. Okay. That's amazing. So everyone's story is different. However, when we usually hear about an immigrant story or an immigrant success story, they're often preceded by some form of struggle. So either the family was poor or had a rough time adjusting to life in the States. Was that true of your upbringing as well? Or was your family well off financially? Or did you have other resources that you could tap into once you arrived? No, I think we were absolutely struggling as a family. Mm-hmm. We migrated at a time here where there was a civil war going on. There was a war in my country. Mm-hmm. So literally we came with nothing. Mm-hmm. We you had to leave everything behind. Left everything behind. I grew up in public housing in, mm-hmm. in Newark. I went to Newark public school system. I was a product of sometime going to, you know, 
kitchen soups to get dinner sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I was happy. I was Mm -hmm. happy because, like I said, my community of people, we had hope. We had the tenacity to, you know, to want to dream big and make our community better. So for me, we were absolutely poor in, in sense of having money, but in terms of spirit, in terms of what I wanted to do, I was so rich. Mm, Okay. Yeah. And who fostered that, that sense of purpose? My grandmother. Okay. I think when I was in Africa, when I was in Africa, my grandmother was this trailblazing woman. She was, we lived in this village in Liberia. Mm -hmm. And essentially she was one of the few or only women in our village that owned her own farm. Her husband Mm -hmm. had passed away. She owned her own bakery. She Mm -hmm. owned a slew of real estate. Mm -hmm. And she did this all alone. So it was absolutely my tenacious and my audacity to want to be a trailblazer absolutely come from her. Okay. So when I came into America, I just had to tap into that. I had to tap into how she always navigated the market space in Africa. How Mm -hmm. whenever she was faced with an obstacle, she didn't back down. She, you Mm -hmm. know, she looked it right in the eye and find a solution for it. And being eight years old and bearing witness to that was probably the best gift you can give an eight-year-old girl growing up. Right. At what point, because you had such a powerful example of entrepreneurship and you looked, you knew you looked up to your grandmother for these reasons, but at what point did it kind of hit you that entrepreneurship was a viable path to creating the life that you wanted for yourself and your family in the States? I think very early on, I knew I was going to be an entrepreneur. Okay. I've been an entrepreneur, I want to say from the age of nine years old. When I lived in the refugee camps and essentially I started my own market at nine years old because in the refugee camps, there was nowhere for people to go buy groceries. So me and my cousin, Mm -hmm. me, me and my cousin started this journey of going back into Liberia, getting vegetables and bringing it back and selling them to the refugees in the camp. So I want to say okay. at a very early age, I knew I couldn't quite use the word entrepreneur, but I knew okay. I would be selling things. I'll be selling the right. service. I'll be doing something. Right. Okay. And after you, you went to Newark public schools and then you put yourself through college. After you graduated from college, you went and got a job in banking and then you began purchasing multifamily homes as investments. Like, take me through that process. Like, what was the banking job? Like, how did you decide that that was the career for you? So when I was a freshman in Mm -hmm. college, I came home that summer to a no internship. And my girlfriend at the time was working at the bank as as Mm -hmm. a teller. I said to her, hey, see if you can help me get a job in the bank. She said, okay. Mm-hmm. She introduced me to this lady. Her name was um, Sulema. Okay. And they hired me that summer as a summer teller. And it was supposed to be just a two-month job. They ended up mm-hmm. keeping me 
as a part-time job while I was in college. So mm. I was at the bank since my freshman year in college. And I oh, stayed wow. there throughout college. And when I graduated college, they offered me a very first job. And my very first job was being an assistant branch manager. Wow. Yeah. And that was totally, you know, out of left field because really, I really wanted to go into hotels. I wanted to go into hotel mm-hmm. restaurant management. Nothing about my background suggested I was going to be doing banking. Mm-hmm. But I, I did it and I loved it and I excelled. I think mm-hmm. within nine months into me being assistant branch manager, at the age of 21, they gave me my own branch. Wow. I was, I was managing $68 million in assets for the bank at 21 years old. Wow. And I, I stayed at that branch, I want to say, for a year and a half, and it gave me a $98 million branch to manage. Wow. So you were just moving. Clearly, you brought a, um, a, this notion of excellence to everything that you did at that time. So you were rapidly moving up the ladder. So explain how you went from like your banking, your career is just going very well at this point. What made you decide to begin purchasing multifamily homes as investments? And you started this in Newark? My very first house mm-hmm. I got in Irvington. In Irvington, okay. Yes. And really how I got that house was I had my job. I graduated in May mm-hmm. 2001. Okay. A week later, I was working full-time at the bank. I was still living at my father at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I knew I didn't want to be this 22-year-old person living with my, you know, with my parents. So my dad and, you know, we're always saying you're not going to be a renter. You're, when you leave my house, you're either going to move in with your husband or you're going to move mm-hmm. in with your own in your own house. Mm-hmm. So I chose the latter. Okay. I saved my money. When I graduated college, I graduated with $32,000 in my bank account. Wow. I and, no, and no debt, no student loans. I had about $28,000 in student loans. Okay. And I... I worked three jobs every mm. semester. I was so busy in college. Not only mm-hmm. did I carry 18 credits, but I, I was a resident assistant. I work at the bank part-time and I work at Davis Bridal. Mm. And you were just putting all that money in your savings. Yes. I save, I save, I save, I save. And when I left college, I had a nice little um, nest egg that mm-hmm. allowed me to buy my first three family in Irvington. I literally stayed in the basement and I rented both floors, all three floors. Okay. That left me again with residual income coming in. Right. That allows me to, you know, purchase additional houses and mm-hmm. make more investments. Okay. And so how, at what point in your career as a, as managing the bank's, did you did you buy that first home? Like, was it two years in, one no. year in? I I graduated college in May. Okay. I purchased my very first house that October. Oh, okay. So right away. Right away. Okay. Okay. And did you know anyone that had investment properties? I know your father said, like, you know, when you move out, you're going to be moving with the husband or you're going to own and do anything else. But did your family have the expertise or the knowledge about um, home ownership or, or rather investing? No. I was so how did you figure it out? 
I, you know, it's just, I was the first person to go to college. Mm, okay. I was literally the first person after my dad to purchase a house. I, you know, one of my favorite books is Michael Gladwell. Mm-hmm. Um, and the book talk about when you look back at entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. that 10,000 hours. Yeah. I do believe that. Um, so the, was it the tipping point? I think it was that one. No, that not, the t- not the tipping point. It was the okay. one. It, it, I think it's the one before that. And it's really okay. escaping me right now. But I'm going to. Um, I'll look it up and I'll put it in the show notes so people can find it. Yes, it's going to come to me. Mm-hmm. And I remember my grandmother being a real estate owner and renting our properties in Africa, in our village. Okay. And she would send me all the time to go pick up rent from the tenants. Okay. I didn't make the connection, but again, that was me practicing or putting in my 10,000 hours. Right. You you were on the ground with that experience early. Exactly. Exactly. So I want to say that notion of home ownership, investment properties came from my grandmother. Mm. That's a powerful, like you said, that's a powerful example to have as an, as an eight year old, as somebody growing up, because it, it groomed you for what you were able to do. And it, it didn't seem because you had that example, it didn't seem as daunting or scary to you. Um, and it's that part that I love. And I think as black women, we often don't have those immediate examples. So that's why I'm, I'm definitely happy to, to kind of go through your story a little bit. So when you first Purchase your first home, which you lived. The book is called Outlier. Yeah, Outliers. There it goes. There it goes. Yep. I love that one, too. I've read about three or four of his books. Yes. And and I felt like when I look back on my life now, spending that time with my grandmother, Mm -hmm. with her in the market space, with her at those residential investment properties, Mm -hmm. on the farm, at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. That was essentially me putting in those 10,000 hours without even knowing that. Right. Yeah. It's just now I can sort of put, you know. Connect the dots. dots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you you save money all throughout college. So you were able to, to purchase a home. When you first purchased that home, did you also have to get um, take out a mortgage or were did, were, did your savings kind of cover it at that time? I, I had to I, I took out a FHA mortgage. Okay. And then and the, the money from the renters covered the mortgage. Exactly. And that left me with my salary now as mm-hmm. residual income to go out and, you know, do more investments. Right. Okay. And when you started investing in real estate um, with this first home, were you doing it all on your own or did you have like anyone assisting you or guiding you through the process, like going to get a mortgage and how to, you know, make sure you're covered legally when you have people renting from you when you're a landlord? What was your learning curve like? My own mistakes. Mm, Okay. I not once picked up a real estate book at that time to say, how do you do this? Or go to real estate classes, any of those things. Um, I kind of dive into it. Okay. And I, you know, I don't recommend that, that that's not what I'm suggesting at all, but I'm mm-hmm. sharing my story. Right. I think I've always been a doer. If I set my mind to it, I don't fickle around with the ideas too much. 
right. I do it. And I learn. I, I, I do believe that sometime that have always, um, even with the IHOP. Yeah, I, paid off. I, it, it's, it's paid off for me. So no, my, you know, my parents didn't have the resources or the example to guide me through most of these things that I'm doing or was doing back then. So mm-hmm. literally, I did it on my own. Right. And so I'm thinking about just my own story. And I know that eventually real estate investing is something that I want to get into. I live in New York, obviously very expensive. So I've been looking at nearby cities such as Newark, um, where things are relatively not so much, but relatively more affordable as a possible place to start. What should I or anyone else listening to this who wants to get into real estate investment, but maybe doesn't have a $32,000 saved up due to get started and make it happen? Probably save (laughs) $32,000. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think I, I, I think I've always started whenever I'm doing something, mm-hmm. my fallback or my reference is always, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. Are you doing it purely as a monetary, uh, you know, because of the money? Right. Are you doing this because this is something that moves you, that moves your heart? Mm-hmm. I've always find when the answer is the latter, when you're doing this for nothing more than you want to make a change in your community, for nothing more than you want to be able to buy a dilapidated property that is disenfranchising or not really making a community look good. Mm-hmm. If you want to do that. I find that when you are encounter with the problem, as you will be, mm-hmm. you're able to stay fast and stay with it. Because right. you're doing it for a purpose bigger than you. You're doing it for a purpose bigger or more important than money. So my answer to that question will always be, find out why you want to do this in the first place. Right. Then let that be your driving force. And right. also reach out to people that are already doing this. Sometimes mm-hmm. you don't always have to start fresh. You, it might be joining somebody that have a real estate investment firm and say, hey, look, listen, Adina, I I may not have a lot of capital, but I have um, the time. I mm-hmm. have um, I have this skill set that can kind of help you in your real estate. Can I come on? So sometimes mm-hmm. find out the skills that the skill sets that you have that you can bring to organization. Right. That's a, that's an excellent point. Yeah, that's an excellent point. Now, the next step of your journey, uh, clearly, like you said, you were making enough money from the renters in this first home that you did you purchase more because you then quit your job in banking to focus on building this part of your business full time and transforming these disadvantaged communities. When did you make that decision? And at that time, how many properties did you have? When I left the bank, and I think this was in 2004, 2005, mm-hmm. I had up north of maybe 10, 14 investment properties. Wait, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. Ten, now, at this time, you're 24? Yeah. 20, 24. Yeah. 24 years old, and you have amassed a portfolio of 10 multifamily. So you're able to rent, you know, like you said, in your building, at least three floors um, or have all these families in these properties, 10 to 14 properties, Adina. Yeah. yeah. Oh my God. It was, it was, you know, something that I just dive into. 
And clearly, because that and that's I amazing. Enjoyed I enjoyed it. I mean, I had so much fun. I would get off work from the bank and literally I would go to my second job, push for mm-hmm. strategy in my real estate portfolio. Literally. Right. And I would have my properties so in top shape that mm-hmm. I had a wait list for people that wanted to live in my properties. Wow. And and one of the things that I always say about real estate that people don't know is that you're having an immediate impact, not mm-hmm. only in your community, but you're having an impact on someone's life. Absolutely. And that is such a big deal that mm-hmm. sometimes people don't understand how big of a deal that is. When right. you can take a house that... You know, we talk a lot when I'm sometimes when I'm speaking on panels about the broken window syndrome. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you've heard of the coin, the term broken window syndrome. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That is people seeing broken window, abandoned houses in their neighborhood mm-hmm. that they become numb to the idea of what a decent building should look like. Right. My plight and my goal has always been. To not have one little child looking out their window at a broken window. Because mm. I want that child to grow up that, no, it's not okay for a window or a house to be boarded up in your right. community. Mm-hmm. I want that child to be disgusted by that. And mm. I want that to call that child up for action. Right. And that's always been my goal is mm-hmm. not to have a abandoned building our communities not to have these broken windows that we as a community should want more and can do more i mean i'm one i am one person but i have this desire i have this goal that i want to put a dent into it i want to have an impact i really do so that's that's my driving force that's what i've come (laughs) with when i'm thinking about a real estate project and I'm, I'm, I'm going to get into it because we're still in the early 20s of your life, which is just so amazing to me. So we're going to get into the IHOP business in a second. But I'm curious right now, how many of those original 10 to 14 properties do you still own? I have three. So you so you basically over time, you eventually sold or flipped them? Yes. Okay. Okay. So you still have, have three. Do you very, have the very first one? House. Yeah, I have that one. That's yeah. amazing. That's yeah. am- it's gonna be. It's gonna be a museum at some point. A, sh- <laughs> a, sh- a shrine to to you and your excellence. That is. I'm just enamored. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so. Okay, so 10 to 14 properties by the time you're 24. You leave your job in banking. You love um, what you've been able to do so far with transforming these communities. And then you decide at 27 (laughs) (laughs) that you are going to open an IHOP in Irvington. And this is where you purchased uh, the first home. So you saw that there was obviously a need. So I know you had that early experience with your grandmother again of having a restaurant and have owning her own farm. So there's some inspiration there. But you've already by this point been a success with the regular, you know, multifamily real estate. Why a restaurant and why IHOP? So when I first came to this country, the mm-hmm. first place my dad took me was to an IHOP. 
Wow. Adina, really? In Elizabeth, yeah. That's amazing. Okay. He took me to an IHOP in Elizabeth, and I did not know what a pancake was. Wow. I hadn't okay. had a pancake before. Mm-hmm. So he takes me to this restaurant, and because it was the only IHOP in the neighborhood, we waited a good 45 minutes to an hour just to be seated. Mm. And he, we sat, the waitress came, took our order, and my dad kind of guided me in what, what to order. And I mm-hmm. remember I ordered a bacon omelet, a bacon mm-hmm. cheese omelet with pancake. Mm-hmm. And when I cut into those pancakes and I put them in my mouth, mm-hmm. it was magic. Mm. When I, cut delicious. Into, <laughs> when I cut into that omelet, it was magic. So in my family, there was always this thing. If you want to reward Adina, take her to IHOP. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Easy to please. Take her right yeah. on the IHOP. Okay. If you want Adina to babysit for you, promise her you're going to take her to IHOP. It's a done deal. Mm-hmm. So when I bought my very first house in Irvington, it was a food desert. There was nowhere mm-hmm. to go and eat. Right. You had two diners that were literally ran down. Mm. There was this diner, class diner, that had been here for 60, literally 65 years. Right. And when you walk on it, the carpet st- stuck to your feet. That's how dirty the place was. Wow. And I remember being outraged. And again, mm-hmm. it goes back to I want my community to have everything that every other community have. Right. So, yeah, so my girlfriend come into town. She mm-hmm. says to me, let's go get something to eat. Let's go to IHOP, your favorite spot. I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. I'm so in. So mm-hmm. she said, which one? I said, let's go to Route 22. I have to do something. It's a busy corridor in New Jersey. So mm-hmm. we get there and we get to the hostess and the hostess said, oh, it's going to be an hour and a half wait. I'm like, what? An hour and a half? Right. So I said to her, well, that's another IHOP in Newark. Let's go to that one. Mm-hmm. So she said, okay, let's go to that one. We get there and they quarter us a two-hour wait. So oh at this God. juncture, I'm like frustrated. So we end up coming to this diner in Irvington, class diner. Mm-hmm. And again, very disappointed with the experience. So at this juncture, I wrote a note to the mayor. Mm-hmm. And I says to him, you know, you should really work on getting us quality restaurants to eat in Irvington. Mm-hmm. So the mayor calls me in for a meeting. Wow. And he says to me, I'm very impressed by you. I've seen some of the properties that you've done. And I think that you should be the one to bring an IHOP here. There's a diner up the street that's on sale. If you like, I can take you to that diner, introduce you to the guy that own it. Mm-hmm. I said, sure. I'm into real estate. I'm not even thinking about the IHOP part. I'm just thinking a diner for sale right. on Springfield Avenue. I'm thinking, okay, this is a great real estate property to own. Right. Mm-hmm. So we walk in. It's an old Greek guy. And we walk mm-hmm. in. And the mayor introduced me. And he gives me this really disgusting look. He gives mm-hmm. me this look of her. She can't do it. She's not able to. And I just remember, you know, this look on his face of the audacity of you even bringing someone like her in here. 
Right, right. So I remember being so outraged by that. I remember I said to him, I said, how much do you want for your diner? He says to me, $1.2 million. Mm -hmm. I said, okay. I take out my checkbook and I write him a check for $25,000. And I said to him, okay, consider this diner under contract. And you mm -hmm. can my, you can expect a call from my attorney on Monday. Okay. So I leave there and I said to my guy, to myself. So did he, oh, did he take the check? Oh, he took the check. <laughs> and I think to myself, holy shit, I just wrote a check. I can't cash. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, wow. So you, you wasn't sure you had the money. No, I had the money. I just didn't know all of the particular of the transaction. Uh, right. That was right. just an emotional purchase. Purchase. At right. the time. So mm -hmm. I remember going home at the time I had a husband and mm -hmm. our, our marriage was already out the door. So I remember going to him. I'm saying to myself, oh, guess what I did today? I just wrote <laughs> someone a check for $25,000 to buy the class diner. He was like, oh, well, that's your problem. And I, oh, remember, wow. okay. and I remember saying to myself, okay, game on. Mm -hmm. I remember showing up the next day, he cashed a check. And mm -hmm. I called my attorney. I explained the situation to him. He said, well, Dina, unless you want to part way with that $25,000, you are going to have to memorialize this deal. It, it's going to mm -hmm. have to happen. And mm -hmm. one thing you ought to know about me, there's no way I'm going to part ways with $25,000. With $25,000. Mm-hmm. So it was game on. I remember mm -hmm. calling IHOP Corporate to find out all of the qualification you needed to be qualified as an IHOP franchisee. Mm -hmm. I remember submitting an application to IHOP and getting a letter from IHOP Corporate with a big letter that said, deny. You mm -hmm. don't have restaurant experience. You work in banking. You never owned a restaurant before. No, but no thanks. Mm -hmm. It took me literally four years to get AHA to give me a chance on this restaurant. I was going to ask you about that. So what because because and, and this is good information for anyone listening about um, getting into franchising. You did. You can have all the money in the world, but they can still tell you no. So Absolutely. what was that process like? What did you have to do? to even prepare? And did you kind of get started right away? Like, you know, on that process, what was that? What did you do in those four years? It was a four year journey of never mm -hmm. taking no for an answer. Okay. And having the present of mind to know that when you want something really, really bad, mm -hmm. that somehow, some way the universe is going to conspire and help you get it. Mm -hmm. along the way you're going to have tests and that is just the universe questioning how bad you really want it mm. yes I yes. remember getting my first no from IHOP and I remember picking up the phone and calling IHOP corporate and being tossed around so many times until one day I pick up the phone and a girl by the name of Nicole picked up the phone mm. And Nicole is a sister mm -hmm. that still worked for IHOP. Mm -hmm. And she was my shining light. She was that person that the universe put to make this possible for me. Mm -hmm. I remember a five-minute conversation with her that lasted an hour. Mm. And essentially, 
I was explaining to Nicole that here is Irvington, this community of people of almost 70,000 people that don't have nowhere quality to go and eat. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember saying to her that if I want to enjoy your brand, IHOP, I have to leave Irvington, drive 25 minutes down to Union to go have an IHOP or drive 20 minutes to Newark to go have an IHOP. And mm-hmm. I said, this community is deserving of an IHOP. And I want to be the one that bring that to this community. It would mm-hmm. mean so much to me. And I remember Nicole saying to me, Adina, I've never spent an hour on the phone listening to someone just pour out their heart about how they want to make their community better. Mm-hmm. And because of that, I'm going to open the door for you. But when you walk through that door, you are on your own. Mm. She said, I'm going to ask the committee to look at your application again. And you're going to be called for interview. And it's your responsibility to sell your vision and your purpose to the community, Mm -hmm. to to the committee. Okay. And that was exactly what I did. Okay. When now I, have I to, had that interview. Oh, go ahead. After that interview, I think it was literally a week later, I got a letter from IHOP Corporate that said, welcome to IHOP and congratulations. You are an IHOP franchisee. Wow. So this, so it took you four years of, of just being going around and around and around. And then that in that fourth year, you found Nicole or you were connected to Nicole who kind of opened the door for you to, to walk through and hold your own. But I have to ask you, four years prior to that, you just spent $25,000 to buy, to put a down payment on a diner. What yeah. happened to the diner during those four years? It was heavy negotiation. I mean, it was sheer strategy. We, Mm -hmm. I ended up um, having the owner to hold a mortgage. So literally I was paying him a mortgage in that four years. Okay. I I had, I had to put down additional $150,000. So literally he was holding a million dollars in note, in a note for me Mm -hmm. until I got my approval from IHOP corporate. And Mm -hmm. in that four years, I was dishing that money to him in a diner that he was still running. Oh, so, okay. So the, the diner was still open. So he got a, a sweet deal, basically. Absolutely a sweetheart deal. Mm, okay. But after I got my approval from IHOP Corporate, it took me another two years mm. for a bank to say yes to me. I to had get the, the loan that you needed to build needed, everything out and do everything else. I needed $2.5 million to do this project. And okay. literally, it took everything that I had mm. to do this first IHOP. Mm-hmm. I had seven banks that turned me down for the same reason IHOP initially turned me down. Mm-hmm. No experience. I didn't have experience. Mm-hmm. I hadn't worked in a restaurant before. And no one was willing to take that chance. On the 20-something-year-old girl that went to open the IHOP for a community. Mm. And again, it goes back to Nicole. So mm-hmm. within the two years, IHOP gave you two years after they approve you to open Get your the restaurant. restaurant. Open. Mm-hmm. One afternoon as I'm driving, Nicole's in California. She calls me. Okay. She says, Adina, it's been two years. 
She said, babes, when are you going to open this restaurant? You're going to stop paying. I have money soon. I remember. So you have to pay once you get approval. You have to pay basically a franchise fee. Yes, I had already paid all of that monthly. Okay. No, it's a franchise fee, but it gave you two years to open your store. If you don't open your store, then you have to pay them their weekly franchise fees. Oh wow, a weekly fee. Okay, and give me a ballpark of what that is. It's seven or eight percent of your sales. Okay. Okay. So if they say that this store is going to make fifty thousand dollars a week. That's how much, you know, you'll be paying them 7% of that. Okay. Okay. But I remember breaking down. I was crying on the phone with Nicole. I said, Nicole, no one would lend to me. I said, I've had seven banks that said no to me. They won't lend to me. And I remember Nicole paused for a minute. She says, what do you mean no one is going to lend to you? I said, seven banks have turned me down. Mm-hmm. She said to me, no, that's ridiculous. Stay by your phone. I'm going to have someone call you. We're going to work on this, Adina. She mm-hmm. hung up the phone. And the next day, I got a call from this gentleman. His name is Marcus Bean. He said, okay. hi, my name is Marcus Bean. I'm calling you from GE Franchise Capital. I got your number from IHOP Corporate. And I understand you're trying to do a transaction in New Jersey. And we want to help you with that transaction. Mm. And she, she connected you with the bank that the, that I have already had a relationship with. Well, this bank wanted a relationship with IHOP. Ah, okay. So she Got made it. a call and said, if you guys want our business, we want to see how flexible and how good you guys really are. We have mm-hmm. a franchisee in New Jersey that having problem getting financing. If you guys mm-hmm. can do this deal, I believe in you guys. Mm. And within 90 days, GE wow. led me. $2.5 million to do my very first store. Wow. And then that store in Irvington, your flagship, became the top grossing IHOP in the entire franchise. Is that correct? In the Northeast. For two, in I'm the Northeast. At, okay. Yes. I'm looking at my war. We were, we had a, like a tremendous growth. One year mm-hmm. we grew like 20%. Wow. That's unheard of in franchise war. Mm-hmm. I mean, we was getting all we are, and we're always getting all types of award. This store mm-hmm. has sort of been the the catalyst for other urban stores. This mm. store has been the argument why more urban spaces can be successful if they're given the opportunity, if they're given a chance. Mm-hmm. That in. Addition to you guys being a fast growing store and a consistent top grossing store in the region, you also are the second largest employer in Irvington in that township, correct? Yeah. Yeah. My that's, people that's are amazing. amazing. Mm-hmm. My staff is amazing. My mini family, I call them, are amazing. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, one thing I always say to people that what I do. And where I do it is oftentimes not an easy sell. Mm-hmm. When you are advocating or trying to do business in communities that are disenfranchised, or you're working on behalf of the poor, or you're or what people perceive as poor, and you are from that community, it's not such a sexy story. Right. If I was. Uh, a Caucasian or someone other than who I am 
It mm-hmm. makes all the sense. Oh, you have this person that's outside this community that's coming to save it. Right. Like right. a hero story. Like a hero story. But I've always said, I'm going to always advocate for these communities. I'm going to always push to make sure that when we operate in our space, that it is powerful, that it is better, that it is meaningful, that we build and train people not just to do businesses, you know, or not just to be an employee, but how do I train people that one day they too can say, I want to own my own IHOP. Right. So for me, I've always said it's not easy, but I'm not complaining. Life is not supposed to be easy. Okay. And those things I'm talking about where no one is giving me a break, but I'm going to fight to make mm-hmm. that breakthrough. Mm-hmm. You know, so my staff here is always my motivation. The people mm-hmm. in, my, in my community that took a chance on me. I mm-hmm. have that took a chance on me. Those are all my motivating factors. Right. And when you, you mentioned something and, and I didn't roll my eyes, but it's something I hear a lot <laughs> where it's life isn't supposed to be easy. And as a small business owner, you know, when things get hard for me, my friends tell me that my grandmother tells me that, and I roll my eyes at them <laughs> because I'm like, I do not want to struggle. Am I going to struggle all the time? Is this just what it's going to be? So to hear you say that, I'm like, ugh. Because if my grandmother hears this, she's going to be like, see, I told you, you need to listen to Adina. (laughs) But in those moments where you are just like, you know, you're writing a check that you don't know if, you know, is this going to pan out? And then you have that four-year gap, which would have broken anybody else really you have these moments where people are telling you no left and right left and right what do you pull from internally that says I'm gonna get up tomorrow and I'm gonna keep trying I'm gonna keep doing this what is that thing that that you pull from what is that like for me I've always felt like life from a very early age for me have been extremely hard Mm. and I think that was done on purpose I honestly do believe that, you know, your experience serve you for your future. So the things that break people down, the things that people cave under are things that just, I look at and say, really? Okay, here's a little thing I need to figure out. How do I go around it or how do I go through it? I've Mm. always been extremely tenacious. Mm -hmm. I've always been able to see the glass half full. Mm. And I've always had an attitude of, I'm grateful to have a glass in the first place. Hello. Yes. <laughs> yes. So when things get hard for me, it's always saying to myself, Adina, buckle up. Mm. Brace yourself. Show them. Let mm. them know you can do this. Let show people. Have one little black girl say, that is my example. Mm. I, it's intentional for me. I want young brown girls. I have a daughter now. Mm -hmm. I want them to look at my story of coming from nothing and building Mm -hmm. something. I want Mm -hmm. them to look at my story of never having a bad attitude because something didn't pan out the way you envision it. I Mm. want them to look at my story and say, well, Adina did it. And so can I, I can do it better than her. So I always, 
always go back when things get really hard for me. I go back to the women, the Madam CJ Walkers, the mm-hmm. women that came before me that didn't have half the stuff that I have now, but right. didn't. Right. That that is pretty powerful, and, and I definitely think just in in the years that you've been doing this, it's been what about a decade from the time that you yeah. started uh, real estate investing. So still very you're very new. You're just getting started, really, when you look at it. But I, I clearly you've been. Um, an example to so many people. And, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on. But going back to the Irvington and, and even your um, your second IHOP, which is in Patterson, New Jersey. And if you're listening, you should definitely look up both of those locations and go. Um, I'm planning a trip to the Irvington location soon. So I'll see you soon. Oh, yeah, <laughs> you know, you let me know I'm here so we can, you know, talk yes, together. Like yes. Yes, I will definitely let you know. Uh, but it's important for, for listeners to support these businesses if you're coming through the area. Eat at Adina's IHOPs. Um, but one of the things I want to talk about is you mentioned the impact that your locations have had on your staff's uh, lives. And you've talked a little bit about how you being successful paved the way or opened up lanes for other businesses in these communities. What are some other positive outcomes that you've seen through your developments uh, in the community? So, for example, when I opened this IHOP, I'm in Irvington today. When Mm -hmm. I opened this IHOP, there was blight. There was, mm. you know, buildings that was abandoned. Literally, mm-hmm. right now, there was a building right across the street from me that has sat that sat there abandoned for ten years. I wow. remember the mayor bringing a potential investor into my IHOP to meet me, and mm-hmm. I remember it was a Chinese guy. Mm-hmm. He asked me. He said, "Oh, this was almost eight years ago." He go, "You, you're not going nowhere, right?" I said, "No." He said to me, "I'm going to buy that building." He wow. bought that building, turned it into a grocery store and a beauty supply store. Wow. Right and he did me, it because you were there. Because I was there. Right mm-hmm. behind me, there was another big building. It's a pharmacy now. Beautiful pharmacy. Mm-hmm. Small businesses clean up their corridor. Even right. if you look at my hospital project, my real estate development project that mm-hmm. I'm doing, about 700 units. That was mm-hmm. a hospital that was bustling and it closed down. Mm-hmm. It's so it's this huge the- space that's been abandoned for more than a decade before you purchased it. Absolutely. And that project was dear to me because mm-hmm. I said to myself, there is no way that hospital should sit abandoned or vacant. This mm-hmm. across the street from a school. You have mm. little boys and girls that are looking at that hospital abandoned. It's going to mm. get in, psycho, in that psych, psychologically. They're going to mm-hmm. think this is okay. Right. So it, go, it went back to your purpose again. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And now that hospital has been torn down. Torn down. Mm-hmm. We're opening, you know, in the fall, we're going to open 114 residential units. Mm-hmm. It's going to be amazing. And because of that project and because of this, I have a Walgreens is coming in Irvington. Wow. Okay. The Popeye's closed down, built a new store. So mm. all of those things add up to have an impact on this community. 
Absolutely. And for, for the for the listeners, I want to talk a little bit about what um, Adina was just mentioning. And uh, we know she's passionate about urban renewal and transforming communities. In 2012, she partnered with a group of investors to purchase that former Irvington General Hospital site, again, which had been vacant for more than a decade and transformed it or is transforming it into a $200 million residential and retail community. So it's going to be mixed use. She just mentioned she they're opening um, 150 40 residential units. So you'll see if you're in that area, you're going to see a lot of activity um, about that site. So talking, going back to you, Adina. Okay. So you started with the multifamily homes and mainly it was, you started to get out of your parents' house too, but you also wanted it to be an investment in smart. From there, you quit your job at the bank. You opened your first IHOP that took off. You transformed um, the community even further. So what happened to make you then say, you know what, I'm going to partner with investors. Uh, Clearly we understand the purpose of it, but this was now a new level of your business, you know, bringing in a group of investors and buying this huge 200 plus million dollar site. How did you get there? I think for me, you always, it's always my real estate portfolio have proven itself. I had mm-hmm. done enough four family, six families projects. Mm-hmm. It was just mm-hmm. naturally, it was a natural progression that I would go into real estate development, especially into the affordable housing space. Because mm-hmm. I was always the one that was charging rent lower than what the market was charging because right. I wanted to help out a single mother that had two kids trying to make it out on one income. Mm-hmm. So it was just a natural progression for me that eventually I would go into this space. And mm-hmm. ha- again, it go back to having that present of mind to know when you're, when, you know, when you're naturally progressing into what you're supposed to be doing. Mm. I had already, again, put in my 10,000 hours in real estate. I had spent countless of hours, Mm -hmm. you know, property management, rehabbing, doing everything I I kind of could that could Mm -hmm. prepare me for the space that I was in now. Mm. And... In addition to that, you have another large-scale residential project uh, that you're working on that will bring 40 new units. Um, When you were embarking on this next level, which you describe as a natural progression uh, of your real estate development um, and investing, were you ever scared of anything? No. No. You know, people ask me this all of the time. Do I ever get scared? Do some... No, I'm, I've been, I'm so fearless and, you know, mm-hmm. I don't say this as a brack or anything like that, mm-hmm. but I have this faith in myself and mm-hmm. I have this faith that I have came too far. You know, I've always mm-hmm. felt like God is always on my side, mm-hmm. the universe, God, whatever you worship, whatever your belief is, always know that he's looking out for you. She's looking out for you. Mm-hmm. And when I came, when I was rescued from a civil war that mm-hmm. took over a million lives and I ended up in the United States of America, you can't get any lucky than that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's always been my belief that there was a reason why I was chosen out of Liberia to be here. That wasn't no mm-hmm. accident that right. I have a greater purpose that mm. there is a reason my purpose is to be here and to figure it out. And why I'm figuring it out 
is to not have no fear that whatever that's supposed to be has already been spoken. And whatever mm. it is that I'm seeking is also seeking me. Mm. Mm. Preach. Okay. Can you? Because <laughs> that was a sermon. <laughs> you, you was about to go right into a sermon. So I, I don't want to keep too much more of your time, but I do have a few other questions. So both of these industries that you're in, real estate and franchising, are still very much dominated by men. What was your experience like being an immigrant and a Liberian black woman in that space? And also, were you able to find other Nicoles along the way that black women or anybody who kind of extended a hand to help you out? Always. I'm just lucky like that. There's Mm. always someone lurking in the corner in whatever industry that I'm in willing to help me. Okay. There have been so many Nicoles in my lives. And they have taken different forms. But I have never met a woman that wasn't on my team. I have Mm. never met a woman that hasn't been cheering for me. I have never met a woman that said to me, I want you to fail. Never. That's never been my experience. I have Mm. never experienced a situation where women are not cheering me on. Go, Adina. Go, go, go. So Mm -hmm. for me, there are thousands of Nicole's, even Tower. I mean, the Mm -hmm. way Tower have been able to really been out there advocating for people to hear my story. She always tell me, Adina, your your story is inspirational to people. I'm like, Tower, really? She's like, yes. And you don't Mm -hmm. see it, but I see it. I hear it. Mm -hmm. So I've been able to navigate in two male dominated world because for me, I don't see me as a female, as a disadvantage, I mm. see it as an advantage because as a female, I bring a certain perspective that men lacked. Right. And because they're around so many men, I become now mm-hmm. the most sought after person because my perspective matter. My right. projects are better. My mm, projects now. Yes. <laughs> my projects are more thought out. I can mm-hmm. design a better kitchen than any man. I can lay, I know what a, uh, a apartment layout should feel like for a female. Mm-hmm. So for me, my project, I have a certain edge that more men developers don't have. So mm-hmm. now I become more sought after. People want to work with me because not only do I have an impeccable work ethic, mm-hmm. I go hard and I go extremely hard anything I do. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's, it's never been a disadvantage because you can never outwork me. Mm-hmm. And you've just leveraged everything that normally people would say, oh, it's not going to work. She's either too young. She's a woman. She's black, whatever the case may be, or she doesn't belong in this space. You've just done things to show them you're wrong. <laughs> that's, that's not the truth. And uh, as if we haven't discussed so many amazing things, you're about to do something else. <laughs> You are about to launch, and this is so interesting to me. Cornbread. Your first, yes, cornbread, your first signature restaurant, which I need people to get this fast casual farm to table soul food. Yes. This is, this is clearly your passion project for real, for real. So tell oh me God. about it. This is going to be a catalyst for change in how we look at our soul food restaurants. Mm. 
I've been in this space now for 10 years. Mm-hmm. My favorite food is soul food. Mm-hmm. My favorite My food is, is food, period. <laughs> but, but I've never been in a soul food restaurant that gave me that, uh, the food is either really, really good and mm-hmm. the atmosphere is lackadaisical. Right. Or the atmosphere is amazing and the food is lackadaisical. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to create this space where people can go and get both. Mm. Not only are you getting amazing food, the atmosphere mm-hmm. is amazing. It's a place where you can take your girlfriend for lunch, dinner, mm-hmm. or Sunday brunch. Mm-hmm. But also on top of that, I wanted to have the food be made with integrity. Mm. I wanted food that was made fresh. I wanted food that was sourced from local farms. Mm-hmm. I wanted food that was made today and served to me today. I wanted food that was made from scratch for me. I mean, I'm so dedicated to that that the, the place doesn't even have no freezers. Mm. It's technology-based. You come in, mm-hmm. you place your order, we service you. You tell us, this, are you eating here? Are you taking out? You can order online. You know, mm-hmm. I wanted I wanted you to walk in there and say, "Wow, you done well. You you really thought this out." Mm-hmm. So we're looking to open in May or June of this year, and I okay. have been working on the concept for five years now. I've took my time with it. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm pregnant and I'm ready to mm-hmm. give birth. Yes. Okay. And and this is something that I, I don't even want to say. If it's successful, because it's you, so <laughs> it's going to, it's going to be successful. Absolutely. Is is this something? And I think I might know the answer to this, but that you see franchising yourself or Absolutely. owning multiple locations of it throughout the country. Absolutely, that is the purpose of Cornbread. I wanted to create a brand that we can take all over the country as a as a people and say mm-hmm. that is and as our full owner live. too. Yeah, that is our Chipotle. Mm. What are you doing today? Do you want to meet me at Cornbread? That is uh, that is our Chipotle. I need yeah. that on a shirt. I need that on a t-shirt. <laughs> cornbread. My Chipotle. Chipotle. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that is, that's amazing. But I, I mean, can you be more great? <laughs> I mean, I'm just wondering. I, I just, I, I am, thank you for this conversation. I, I, a couple more questions because... Everybody that is going to hear this, myself included, and I've already felt this way about you knowing what I know of your story through Tara. And um, when she was talking about Tara, I'll mention it again. Tara Dowdell, Google her. She's amazing. That is um, Adina's publicist. She's an amazing woman. Um, You'll discover that on your own. But for anyone who is listening to this, who wants to follow in your footsteps with either real estate or franchising or just their own business, um, they're going to be energized by hearing your story. But what is something that we can do today to position ourselves for real estate development or franchising? Position yourself in a sense that want to make a difference in your community. Mm -hmm. Protect your credit. Be Mm -hmm. very smart. Make smart money decisions. You Mm -hmm. cannot resell a bag five years from now and it give you a higher value than you bought it for. Mm. Don't invest your money in shoes and bags. Mm-hmm. Invest your money in real estate and things that can yield you better results. Okay. So Make we, we got to save all our money, y'all. Save your money. 
Mm-hmm. Save your money. But I think most importantly, let it be driven by your part, by your passion. Mm-hmm. Let mm-hmm. your passion be the reason why you're doing this in the first place. Yeah, not just for the money. Because it's, it's, like you said, it's very easy to tell when people just want that quick check and it never really pans out. Um, you may get it, but you won't last. Um, so lastly... You've done and accomplished so much, and we know that you're going to do and accomplish much more. What are you most proud of? And what is one goal that you've set for your future that would just be like the icing on the cake? I think that if I can, if I can one day look back and say I made a difference in my community mm-hmm. and that a sister, a brother, somebody looked at my story and said, because of her, I too can be great and mm-hmm. make a difference in my community. Mm-hmm. I'll be happy with that. Thank you for listening to another episode of Hashtags and Stilettos. I know the audio on this episode was super glitchy, and I'm so sorry for that. But I'm so glad you hung in there so that you could hear Adina's amazing story. To keep up with Adina and her businesses, you can follow her on Instagram at Foods. That's IHOP, F-O-Y-A, foods with an S. And be sure to share your thoughts about this episode using the hashtag, Hashtags and Stilettos. Spell it all out. And you can send me your direct comments on Twitter and Instagram at Miss Success. That's M-I-S-S Success. Talk to you soon.